things I would look for that I think are very important no matter what industry you're in. The big differentiator between successful people and unsuccessful people is definitely drive. And do they show up every day and want to perform at their best? And the other thing I look forward to that we look for even on resumes before we bring people in or even when we're screening people is it do they have a track record of success? Any point in their career or even their college career or high school career, did they do something that separated them from the herd? Jim Lawrence has spent 25 years excelling in the recruiting, staffing, and talent acquisition industry. His is a true great American success story. He distinguished himself as a star athlete in high school and college, and through his Cutco Vector experience, then utilized his internal drive to succeed at the highest levels in his industry. He married his high school sweetheart, has raised two daughters, accumulated significant financial wealth, and lives a fulfilling, happy life. Enjoy this enthusiastic and genuine account of Jim's story. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. My guest today is Mr. Jim Lawrence. He is very near and dear to my heart as Jim started in the Cutco business in my very first summer as a district manager here in San Jose. Uh, He became one of the top sales reps on our team very quickly, was a branch manager the following summer, uh, also here in the San Jose, Silicon Valley area. And then he graduated in 1994 from Washington State University, where he was a scholarship track and field athlete. Got a job in the recruiting industry that he'll tell you a little bit about where he was an incredible success, ultimately founded his own talent acquisition firm. Uh, that he ran for about 12 years. And now he is the vice president of global talent acquisition at a company called 8x8, uh, which combines voice, video, and chat all in one platform. Jim, thanks so much for making some time for me today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to be able to reminisce about some old days uh, with you here today. So let's just get right in and talk about when you first got started with Cutco Vector. I know it was the uh, summer of 1992. Uh, tell yeah. us what you remember about uh, getting started with the company. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty exciting. You know, I, I showed up to a meeting, I think we we're downtown somewhere in some old brick building that, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight stories tall. Um, you, know, you walk into a room, you're a little unsure of what to think. You see trophies and plaques and awards everywhere and just kind of random people from different walks of life, college kids, 
new grad, you name it. And, uh, you know, sitting there was a little bit intimidating at first thing. Where, what did I walk into? And, you know, you, you see the demo and you get the pep talk and, uh, you just felt the vibe right from the get go, like just positive people and, you know, a positive company. And I think that was my first impression was like, at first I was a little like, what am I doing here? And then once you learned about the opportunity and learned about the company, you kind of, you know, rest assured that, you know, things were on the up and up here. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what are some things you remember from your, your early summer experiences? Like that were lessons that you learned? Um, wow. I see the big one, you know I mean? I've, I've always been a pretty positive person in life, but I'd say that the big takeaway from that summer and just Cutco in general is it, you know, whether it was you or Filippo, you know, just the positive pep talks, the, the positive affirmation, uh, you know, the, the, we talked a lot about, you know, fear of failure, but more importantly, like the fear of being successful, like don't be afraid of succeeding. And so I just remember all the, the talks and the stories and the cliches about, you know, it, it's okay to hear no, you know, get you that much closer to a yes. And, you know, don't be afraid to make that phone call and just the positiveness. I mean, people that have been there and done it, understand it, but I think being young and, and hearing it and hearing the stories to back it up of people that have been successful that, you know, have gone down that road. I think that was the biggest takeaway. Just, I've, and I have, I've taken that kind of into my career down the road too. It was just, you know, understand that you're going to hear a lot of no's and those no's get you that much closer to a yes. And I think, you know, with you and even Filippo, just the talks and the examples, just, I think that was my biggest takeaway that kind of set me up for years to come, just being positive and know you're going to have some good days and bad. Yeah. You know, we always try to teach people a constructive way of viewing the things that happen, you know, whatever challenge it is, whether it's, you know, a no on the phone or a no on an appointment or some of the larger challenges that we experience in life, it just makes sense to learn how to view those things positively. Right. That was one of the things that I feel like, uh, you know, I learned that we always strived to teach people as they were coming into Vector and Cutco during, uh, you know, during their initial experience with us. Right. Yeah. What other lessons do you feel like came out of your experience? I know you ran a branch for a summer. Sure. Anything that uh, you recall from that? Yeah. I mean, I see the biggest lesson I, and I, I can't remember, I'll give you credit because I think you're the one who actually showed us this example is goal setting, right? Is that, you know, the whole summer, if, I mean, the way it's set up for anyone who's ran a branch or been a rep understands, you know, there's a fast start and there's the conferences and there's the, the contests. And back then we had like, you know, a thousand dollar day and like everybody wanted to get a thousand dollar day and get the cool knife with the engraving of what you booked that day or what you sold that day. And then you get the cherrywood chest. And so there are all these things that kind of work up to that you wanted to win or that you wanted to achieve. And I still use this to this day with, with people on my team is that when we talk about goal setting and that anybody can have a goal, like big deal. Like you can say, how many people, like when I, I talk to kids that I coach, like how many people want to win the CCS championship? Every hand goes up. How many kids want to win you know, a league championship? Every hand goes up. But the real question what, that I ask now is, you know, what are you willing to do with it? Are you willing to do what it takes to win that championship? Right. And it kind of gets me back to my, my old Cutco days where I'm giving you credit for the whiteboard is that you have a goal. That's great. Everyone can have a goal. And then you need to have a plan, which some people aren't very good at crafting a plan, but that's where, you know, you guys back then helped us all with the plan. But the most important part was taking drastic action to execute that plan. Those three things have always stuck with me. So the biggest takeaway for me that summer, is not just the positiveness and, and the hearing the no and pushing on, but really have a goal. That's great. Anybody can do that. Put together a plan. You can find someone to help you with a plan. But at the end of the day, it's up to you and only you to go out and execute that plan, 
right? And so I've, I've taken that with me ever since then. I mean, it's been 20 years plus, right? And so I think that was my biggest takeaway that I think was super valuable for me is it, you know, have something to work towards, whether it's a conference, whether you want to be on stage back then, but now it's different things, whether it's you want to buy a home, you want to buy a car, you want to get a beach house, you want to put your kids through college, you want to, whatever is retired at a certain age, you have to have that goal. That's great. Everyone can say that, but then what are you doing to make that happen and achieve that? I think that's the biggest one for me. Yeah, that's a great lesson. I I think the natural tendency for people in life is to take the path of least resistance and to do as little as we can. And when you have goals, it gives you direction, it gives you motivation, it gives you inspiration to move in that direction. You're much more likely to be able to achieve a whole lot more when you have those goals. So. So we both had a chance during the time we were working in Cutco Gym to work with one of the most legendary figures in the company's history. Uh, it was a guy named Filippo Mancini, who you've referenced yep. here. He was my original division manager. He was the division manager for all of Bay Area, Northern California, Oregon, and Washington when you started. What do you feel are some of the lessons you remember learning from Filippo? Wow. Anyone that knows him is going to say, I mean, the guy's just fired it up, right? I mean, he just... So his energy is, is contagious. His positive attitude is contagious, you know, and just watching him, you know, you're just kind of like in awe of this guy who's, who was a legend, right? I mean, he's just a legend for Vector and Cutco. And, you know, and it's interesting now that I've kind of, I don't want to tell too much of his story, but now that I know him as an adult and you hear the stories of things that were going on behind the scenes, it just shows you even more like when you're a leader or you're, you're training young people or, or even adults, is it, you know, you kind of have to be the duck sometimes where your feet are going a million miles an hour, but on the surface, it's just everything looks smooth. So he was always keeping everybody positive and upbeat and, 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 and you know, just energized. Whereas behind the scenes, he was scrambling to make sure voicemails weren't getting lost and people were answering phones and kids were being, you know, he had a lot of things going on in the background, but his leadership, if you will, was just always positive and upbeat and energetic and motivational. So I think, you know, that's, that was a big one for me is like, you, you, you appreciate it more and more now that you know, probably what he was going through during all those summer campaigns and the hard work that went on behind the scenes. And yet to you, he was just, everything was great. Right. And so to me, that was just awesome. Yeah, he he always was such a great example of energy and charisma. One of my recent guests on the podcast talked about a concept he called the hybrid leadership matrix. And the idea was that you, you don't just look at one person as having all of the qualities of leadership, but instead you look at what is this person really good at? What is that person really good at? What is right. this person really good at? And you can sort of learn to combine those skills into you know your own style as a leader. And certainly when I look back on Filippo, I think about the energy, the charisma, right. the hard work right. that you put in. Right. Like you were right. talking about, it might have looked like a duck swimming across the water, but underneath, right, right. The legs were churning and there was right. a lot of effort going into being able to run a giant organization like he ran. Yep. So it was really cool to be able to, to be exposed to him. Um, so we can take it then to 1994. Uh, you graduate from Washington State University where you were a scholarship athlete, track and field, pole vault. Mm-hmm. Um, and you married your high school sweetheart, Stacy. Yep. Uh, right then when you guys got out of college and your first post-college job uh, was with a uh, recruiting company called Heuristics Search. Yep. And I've heard you tell the story that they didn't hire people straight out of college, but you got the job anyway. So tell us right. how that unfolded. Right. So, yeah. So I, I got married right out of school. I'm still married, 25 years and strong here. And, 
you know, I needed a job as <laughs> so I got married. And uh, Stacy had already had a job. So she got a job at Lockheed and I had no job. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting married. Uh, my wife doesn't want to marry a bum. I've got to get a job. So I knew I wanted to do something in sales, right? Because I just want to make more money. And I started answering these, these ads in the newspaper back then. And I saw this ad that said, you know, like, you know, base plus bonus. And I'm like, this sounds great. A little stability. I get a little money. This is perfect. And so I showed up for the interview and I had no idea what they did. And it turns out it was a recruiting firm, technical recruiting firm. And I remember coming home and telling my mom, like, I have no idea what they do. They find people with jobs and people pay them for it. Like, is that a thing? Like, is that really a thing? <laughs> and, you know, she's like, well, talk to your uncle. He works over there in Intel and he'll tell you all about it. So I did a little research, went back for my second interview and talked about everything. And of course, I had all my sales skills from, from Cutco and they want salespeople, right? And so things were going really, really well. And they said, well, you know, we don't really hire, you know, new college grads because, you know, we're an established firm and we're kind of this boutique and you know, we really have more like experienced people, 10, 15 years of experience. And they said, well, why do you, why would you want to work here? And I said, well, what's the average person make per year? <laughs> they said, they make 80K. And this was back in 94. Right? I said, well, then I'll take it. And she said, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, I've never been average yet, so I'm not going to start now. <laughs> and so she said, boom, you're in. So that, <laughs> like, that, that confidence to kind of like ask for the order, if you will, or close the deal, you know, was definitely huge when you're a kid. And that's what I did. And so uh, I was the first new grad they'd ever hired, which worked out to be really great. It led to a lot of different things for me, um, fortunately. Yeah. And you succeeded right out of the gate with these guys. Yeah. And then ultimately, they asked you if you could train other new grads how to do what you've done. And I believe you pioneered some sort of training program for, yes. for other people uh, straight out of college. Yeah, no, I did. And so since, since they had never hired a new grad, and I, I went on to like break all sorts of rookie records and do all sorts of things, which was awesome. Again, taking that kind of fast start mentality, if you will, right out of the gates, just setting those goals. Um, they said, hey, can you actually teach other new grads how to do that? And I thought, Sure, I can. Why not? Right? I mean, I was training people to sell knives. How could I not sell train people how to find people jobs? And so I went around like everybody would do and say, Hey, you know, you're a senior person. You know, what made you successful? What makes you successful? You know, what did you do to make, you know, make all this money? And I created a training manual. And in that training manual, I took a lot of from a lot from Cutco. I actually took pretty much all the closing techniques that we ever learned, you know, reduce or ridiculous. If I could, would you, you know, the porcupine clothes. I mean, you, you know, every alternate choice clothes. I mean, you name it. I took all these closes and kind of wrapped them around recruiting and cold calling and selling and building value. Right. And so I took that approach and I created this training manual and sure enough, they made me the, uh, the training and development manager while I also worked my own desk. So I had to sell and I had to train all the new people. And every morning I would have a conference room full of at least 10 to 15 new college grads or young professionals, whoever, you know, wanted to get into recruiting that had zero experience, zero experience in sales, zero experience in recruiting and took them through it was a three month program. And the first week was like one solid week every day, eight hours a day, role play, role play, role play, learning how to handle objections, learning the objection cycle, absorbing objections, you know, and, and mock interview and mock situation. So I created the whole thing. And then from there, we did a shadow program where every new grad or new person would work alongside a senior recruiter for the next three months and shadow them and learn from it and then launch them out into their career. And then they were off and running. And every single person that we brought in there 
absolutely crushed everybody. I mean, it was just like new blood, they're fired up, you know, they're cold calling, dialing for dollars all day. They're not afraid to know. I mean, we've done everything in the classroom, like I said, mock situations, role play, objection handling, you name it. And we created salespeople, um, which was great. And for me, it really, really helped me a lot, which is why I kind of I give a lot of credit, you know, not just to Cutco, obviously I learned all those closing techniques there and then brought them into, the, into my corporate life is that in my opinion now, I'm, I'm, people can argue this probably, but there are no natural salespeople. I, I've, I've given up on the gift to gab or silver tongue salespeople. It's a learned skill, right? Totally. Skill. And I've met people that are quiet and withdrawn. Um, I've even hired engineers and you would think, you know, they don't talk like me. They're not fast talker like me. They're not quick like me, but they're internally driven. And I've, that's the one big thing I've learned is that the one thing like I coach, I still coach this day. I coach the pole vault just for fun at the high school. I volunteer. And even in corporate life, you can't coach or teach drive. Someone's either internally driven or they're not. Now you can motivate them and you can get them, you can squeeze out more than probably what they're capable of or what they think they're capable of. But that drive factor is huge. And you can't judge a book by its cover. Some people might be quiet and withdrawn, but internally inside they're moving, man. Those wheels are spinning. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, Fortunately for me, early, early in my career, I learned that. And so, you know, I was able to see the people like, you know, some people walk into training, whether it's selling knives or or recruiting people, you go, that person's going to be a rock star. And then two months later, they burn out, right? Even though they may be an extrovert and talk real fast and they're type A, they just don't have that drive. They don't have, they can't set goals. They're not motivated or whatever it is. So for me, early in my career, that was key to realize there are no natural salespeople. Sales is a learned skill. It can be taught and trained. If someone's willing to do it, you can turn them into a rock star. And that was really big for me early in my career because I still do it today. Like I run recruiter training at my at eight by eight right now. I ran recruiter training at the last company I was at. I ran recruiter, and and even if you're a senior recruiter, I still run recruiter training. And they're like, man, I forgot all about those techniques. Like I got to scratch the rust off. Like glad we did it. So the the things that I learned back then, I still use it. I have my I even brought my original manual in the other day because we had all the interns in this summer. So we're doing recruiter training. And they're like, how old is that thing? You printed it? So I'm like, yeah, things like 20 something years old and it still works. So the basic fundamentals are so sound that they still work today in real life situation. So it, that was huge for me. Yeah. yeah that, that, it's just great to hear the real world value of selling experience. You know, you talked yeah. about building value, which yep. is one of the key things that, you know, obviously we teach people at Cutco right now. That's, that's critical. And you talked about closing the sale, which is not like twisting somebody's arm, but it's getting right. people to be comfortable yep. making a decision. Absolutely. And, and that's so critical. And then the objection cycle and how you are able to work with a customer's hesitation, you know, to help them get past that, to make a decision. And like all these things that people learn in selling knives that are so valuable in influencing people in other walks of life. And it's just great to hear you talk about all that. No, absolutely. I mean, you've, you've heard me ask you and beg you before I'll take any Cutco rep and hire them tomorrow. I mean, it's the skills are so transferable. It's not even funny. I mean, it's, it's easily transferable. And you know, it's funny you mentioned closing because I I talk about closing all the time in in my, my regular job. Right. And I say the closing happens on the first phone call. Closing happens on the first email. Closing happens on the first in-mail on LinkedIn. Like you're not just closing at the end. It's discovery. It's questions. It's drilling down. It's understanding their needs. What are their wants? You know, and again, building value. And, and so we sell opportunity. It's no different than selling knives. I mean, we need to find out, you know, of course, everyone's got a set of knives. Well, everyone's already got a job. I'm talking to you too. 
So, you know, I've got to figure out, you know, what is it about their current job that they don't like? What is it that's missing? What are they looking for in their next career path opportunity? So on and so on and so on. So the discovery phase, the asking questions, you know, I think you probably taught me this a long time ago too, is that, you know, being a good salesperson is like being a five-year-old kid. You're just always asking questions and learning and learning and learning and not just talking and talking and talking. So, you know, those skills, those skills are, are, are very valuable. Great listener. Listen, 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 ask questions, drill down, understand their, their motivation to buy, and then people buy an emotion, so show them the opportunity. And that's what we do today is it's people buy an emotion. Why would you be better off coming to work at my company versus the company down the street? Mm. Oh. Yeah, you know, you've, you, uh, you said earlier something that was pretty funny about uh, when you were getting into it, it was tech recruiting and you told your mom, like, is that a thing? Like, you know, right. helping people find jobs and you get paid. And right. I mean, the value proposition for companies like yours is, is uh, for, for people that do what you do is very high. And obviously there's a lot of money to be made right. in this industry. And so, you know, once you realize that, and that you were doing really well, um, I know you decided to start your own staffing company. So you started right. Eclectic Search. Yeah. Uh, what made you take the leap to start your own company? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been training people for so long and I realized like, I'm pretty darn good at this. I can, I can take somebody with no experience and turn them into a top producer. I mean, it's been replicated for years, right? So I had the playbook down and I was also really good at getting clients. So I, so in the first company I worked for, you had it broken down. We call it full lifecycle recruiting. And so you had to be a client account manager where you're calling on companies and calling on clients you also had to call on engineers or hardware engineers, software engineers, you name it, to find a job. So since I was really good at getting clients, I was really good at training people. I thought, why am I doing this for these guys? Why don't I just do it for myself? Um, and so I figured I've, I've done well enough. I've saved a little money. I'll take a chance. And so I just took the leap and did it, which worked out to be great. But yeah, that's how I started. I figured, I mean, I'm doing the exact same thing, whether I work for somebody or not, I might as well go out and get my own clients. And I had such a big base of people that, that worked with me before. It wasn't hard to get a client base worked up, but definitely to get people to believe in you. Just like when they come in to look at the starter kit, you're like, wait, what? I'm selling knives? You know, who's going to believe in me? This no-name guy who's starting a firm. Having the conviction of what I did and having the track record of showing people that I've done it before made it easier to get people to come work for me, even though we were a no-name firm at the time. So, but yeah, I figured I'm doing it for someone else, but I do it for me. So. Yeah, being in business for yourself is uh, definitely one of the, one of the great experiences people can have. So yep. you you did that. You had that firm for twelve years. Yep, that about right. Yep. Yeah. And and yep. where did where did your career take you after that? Yeah. So it was a great run. I mean, there were definitely some tough years. Two thousand eight was a tough year. Two thousand nine, nine eleven was a tough year. But overall, it was really great, and we did really well. But I started taking on more and more clients through like the venture capital world. And, you know, they start offering you a little bit of stock here, a little bit of equity there, and some of those start to work out. Well, they, I finally got drawn, drawn in where they said, Jim, we want you to be, you know, 100% in on one of our portfolio companies. What do you think? And so I kind of resisted it for a long time. But obviously being here in the Valley, you think I got to take a chance at some point, right? Like, why not? Um, and so I did. So I left it all behind and sold it actually and uh, went in with a startup company uh, about seven, eight years ago. And got there about sub 100 people, grew the company to 4,000 plus people, went through a successful IPO. Uh, it all worked out this time. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. So now I've kind of stuck in that, you know, now that I've done it, everyone wants you to come do it again. Now, 8x8 is not 
a, a privately held company, but we're operating like a startup in growth mode, which is a lot of fun for me. You know, the one thing I have learned throughout my career is I'm definitely a builder, not a maintainer. So once you get to that kind of maintenance mode, it just kind of gets boring. Um, so finding that next opportunity where you can really build a team, build an organization, build out processes and systems, that, that's what 8 by 8 brought for me. So I, I just kept going. So this is the next, the next big one. Wow. That, that's a, a interesting path that you took. It's cool to hear that uh, you know, you're running your own company and that you're working with a lot of the VCs. And then one of the VCs recognized that you were so talented that they wanted you to go all in yeah. on one of their portfolio companies. So Yeah. yeah they, gave, they gave me four to choose from. And I'd like to think I'm super smart, but I, ju- I chose the one that was closest to my house. <laughs> <laughs> and it happened to work out. But uh, they actually, actually, believe it or not, three out of the four actually ended up making it. But uh, yeah, it was, it was the one that was closest to my house. My kids were young at the time, you know, and I, I wanted to make sure I could see their soccer games and track meets and stuff. So yeah, it was, but it worked out. It worked out. Yeah, that's cool. So Jim, you know, you see a lot of young people who want to get good jobs. And, uh, you know, I, I think you would be a highly qualified person to talk about what are the, the qualities that a recruiter looks for? What are the things that people need to show their prospective employer that they could bring to the table in order to be able to get the best jobs, the best opportunities that are out there? Can you speak to that for a moment? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's a few things I look for that I think are very important no matter what industry you're in. I mean, eight by eight, we hire everyone, engineers, non-engineers, finance, accounting, marketing, you name it. I've done that my whole life. And I'd say the big differentiator between successful people and unsuccessful people is definitely drive. Are they internally driven? Are they internally motivated? Right? Do they have a sense of a do it now mentality? And do they show up every day and want to perform at their best? And the other thing I look forward to that we look for even on resumes before we bring people in or even while we're screening people is it, do they have a track record of success? So at any point in their career or whether, or even their, their college career or high school career, did they do something that separated them from the herd, right? They took a chance. They took a risk, right? They got second place in the chamber of commerce competition for business, whatever. They got first place in their, you know, they're the first chair on the trombone. It doesn't matter what it is. Ran a Cutco branch office. Ran a Cutco branch office. Exactly. Summer champion, you know, whatever it was like, they did something to separate themselves from the herd to say, I cared, I had a goal, I worked my ass off, and I did it. So it doesn't even have to be applicable to the job for me, for me to say, that person does not need to be prodded to do their job. They're motivated. When they're excited about something, they're motivated, and they get it done. And so for me, track record of success is huge. I look for that. And also a sense of urgency. And also the do-it-now mentality and the drive. It's hard to figure out the drive from a piece of paper sometimes because some people will hide some of the things they've done, whether it's athletics or academic award or whatever. Like, for instance, engineers, like we'll get a lot of people apply for engineering jobs. Like they got gold medal winner at some hackathon. That's awesome. But was it, I call it the we mentality, like we did it or you did it? So who won the hackathon? Were you part of a team that won or was it your idea and you executed the idea yourself? Big difference, right? Because we're yeah. not we. We're hiring you. So to, so you got to figure that out too. But definitely anything that separates them from the herd, so to speak, and differentiates them of someone who actually cares and has internal drive. I look for that a lot. Yeah, that's great. That was really, really helpful. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. One of my most memorable experiences 
uh, in the last couple of years happened at your house. And if I could kind of reset the situation, uh, one of our top sales reps here in the Bay Area Division named Carlo Cipollina uh, tells me, hey, I've got a service call with one of your old reps and managers, Jim Lawrence. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. I want to go with you. (laughs) So I told Carlo I wanted to come out to your house uh, with him. And uh, we went out there and we, we saw you, you know, met you and Stacy there. And, uh, and then Carlo was working with Stacy in the kitchen, sharpening some of the knives and talking about stuff. And, right. And, uh, and you and I went walking around your house and you showed me your nice yard that you've had, that you've remodeled. And, uh, and then we ended up getting to your front door and you opened the front door and you say to me, Hey, do you see that house? Like three doors down on the other side of the street? I'm like, yeah. And you're like, I own it. I said, oh, that's cool. And then you told me, and I own another house right down the street. Right. And I was so impressed. I'm like, you own three houses on the same street in San Jose, California, which is the most expensive metro in the United States on a, right. you know, in terms of median home price. And, uh, and you told me about uh, you know, having your two daughters that at this point were, I guess, both over 20 by this point, and that you wanted to be able to give them each a house on your street so your grandkids yeah. grow up near you. That's it. Yeah. You know, I'm one of these people, like, I don't want to see my grandkids at some point grow up on Facebook. So I wanted to say, okay, it's super expensive to live here. So how am I going to keep my kids here? Right. So I got to have some bait to keep them here. And, uh, so my wife and I, Stacey and I just decided like, let's buy them a house, you know? So at some point, hopefully they live in it. If not, they don't, at least I have houses. <laughs> we wanted to at least make it easy for them to have a place to live in Silicon Valley. Right. And so fortunately I've been, you know, blessed enough to be able to do that. And, uh, yeah, so we did. So we bought a couple of houses on the street, uh, for them. And if, if, and when they're ready, they're right there for them. So, yeah. And, and you've gotten into real estate investing beyond just those two houses as well, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we have a couple of vacation rentals in Pacific Grove that we vacation rent. Uh, we have a couple more, uh, houses in Sunnyvale that we rent long-term. And then my wife, she was at Yahoo for like nine years and so she, I guess I tell her it's her retirement job, but now she, uh, she flips houses basically. So we've been doing it for so many years. I mean, I've owned property in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Arizona, all over the place. And now we've just kind of consolidated owning and buying here in the Bay area. But yeah, so that's, that's, that's the thing we like to do. She's really good at it and she loves it. So that's kind of what she's doing now. So yeah, we actually just bought and sold one about two, three months ago. Wow. So you have set, you currently own seven houses in the general San Jose Metro, I guess, if you include Pacific Grove Monterey as part of this big area here. Yeah, correct. Seven houses in this area. So, I mean, I don't know, quick, quick math. That's got to be at least $10 million worth of, uh, of property value, if not a lot more than that. What tips would you have for young people who want to be able to achieve financial success? I found that, uh, the fastest way to make money is to save it. And so don't waste it. Nowadays, I ask you know the younger people like, well, "What are you doing to save money? Are you working another job? Are you cutting back on your bar tab? Are you cutting out on your concerts that you go to? Like, what sacrifices are you making? Right? Because if you're not in sales, there's only so much money you're going to get on your paycheck, right? Every single week or month or you know quarter. And so you know, I think it's important one save, two have a goal, and three don't be afraid to stretch it a little bit. You know, like when it comes to real estate. You know, the best advice I ever got, and it's for my mom, my mom's a real estate broker way back in the day, was, you know, buy more than you're comfortable buying. As you're saving, the market's running. And so you need to get in as fast as you can, 
right? Even if it's not your ideal neighborhood, if it's a safe neighborhood, that's usually important. But if it's not your ideal neighborhood where you want to raise a family, that's fine. You can always upgrade and swap later and move on. Or what I tell people, make, keep it as a rental, right? But, but have a goal that you're working towards and maximize your dollar. You know, some of the best advice I ever got when I joined kind of like my first corporate job is maximize your 401k when you're young. Like, just don't look back. Just put the money away and don't look back. Um, it's hard when you're young because you want to go do these fun things, but definitely maximize your 401k young, you know, take advantage of, you know, of, of all the money's doubling as you get older um, in the market. But I'd say be a saver, be smart. Don't waste your money on things you don't need, but have fun, right? I mean, have, it's a good balance, but I'd say here in the Valley, it's hard, especially if you're not in sales. You're not cranking up the money every quarter with bonuses and everything else. Yeah. I, I think it's about having a long-term vision of what you want. Right. If exactly. Says, you know, I, I've, I've talked to so many young people who, you know, you ask them to write down a goals list and they'll write down, you know, they want to own a house by the time they're 30 or they want to own a house by right. 35 or whatever. Well, then there are steps you have to take right now when you're 20, 22, 25 that are going to yep. get there when you're 30 or 35. And if you're willing to take those steps, you can get there. But right. if you're spending all your money, then you're not going to get there when you're 30 or 35 or even exactly. Right. Exactly. So you got to have that long-term vision of what's important. Yep. To you. And, and, uh, we were always taught, pay yourself first, right? right? Don Mulerath, president of Vector West, when you started, used to say, pay yourself first. And I, and I always yeah. remember learning that if you save first, who cares how you spend the rest? Right. right? As long as exactly. you're saving first and saving a substantial amount and starting young, like you said, right. You started very young, making a ton of money. You made a, a, at least what you've told me, you made six figures your very first year uh, in, in your industry. Yep. And so you started at a very early age, making a good amount of money and socking away enough yep. chunks that you were able to accumulate these properties. And that, you know, parlayed it into this empire that you have now. So right. uh, just a lot yeah. of things, uh, a lot of things that you've said make a lot of sense for people. Yep. I'll, add, I'll add one more thing that I tell my daughters, no credit card debt, <laughs> no credit card debt. You'll never win that battle. You know, and I think buy what you can afford. That's it. If you spend money on the credit card, pay it off every month. I know it's easier said than done, but that's a big, deep hole you don't want to get in. Yeah, that's such a critical piece of advice. I always tell people the number one key to all financial success is spend less than you make. Yeah. And uh, it seems like such a basic point, but it, the reality of that point escapes a lot of people who spend more than they make through credit cards and accumulating debt, and it's just never a good idea to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so, Jim, as you look ahead to the next uh, five years, 10 years, you know, what are you most excited about? Wow. Let's see. I'm, 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 I'm practically an empty nester right now, my wife and I. So we've got one daughter married just last year, and our other daughter, our younger one, will be a senior this year at Michigan State. So, uh, you know, I love our kids to death. We love them, but we're having a good time. We're having a good time as empty nesters, which is good. So I'd say looking forward to, you know, maybe traveling a little bit more. I mean, we were, we were kind of locked down at soccer fields and track meets and field hockey fields for a long time. And I loved it. It was great, but it definitely cuts into your, uh, you know, traveling in other places outside of the U S and checking things out. But so I say hanging out with Stacy. I mean, you know, I tell people all the time, I don't give marriage advice, but if I do, I always say, you know, you're going to love your wife forever. I think it's more important that you like her. And I really like my wife. <laughs> I like hanging out with her. Uh, we have a good time. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hanging out with her and, and more and more. And you know that the kids are kind of doing their thing and they're on their way, you know, and, and really the company that I'm at now, eight by eight and the team that I have is phenomenal. And I was very fortunate enough to build that team myself. Um, so I'm really looking forward to us just crushing it for the next like three to five years there at eight by eight. 
that to me is kind of my, the way I do my corporate coaching. I love to coach, but quite frankly, a lot of coaches don't make a lot of money. So I like to do that as a hobby, but this is my vehicle to coach people in a corporate environment and see them succeed. And then as our team succeeds, watch the company succeed. So I'm pretty fired up about that in the next three to five years, but I'm also more fired up to hang out with Stacy and watch the kids do their thing. I'm kind of at that stage, right? So I was a young, you know, we were young parents, you know, and so it's neat to see them do their thing and go on their way. So I'm, ex- I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the family. I'm a big family guy. So it makes me happy. Yeah. It's really cool. It's really cool to see. I just find it interesting that, uh, you know, we, we were two young up and coming kids really together. Yeah. I was only, I was only 21 when you came into my office, uh, in that summer and you, you know, graduated in 94 and had kids right away. And your kids are now 24 and 21, right? Is that how 23, 23 and 21, 23 and 21. Right. Wow. And, uh, and I took the opposite approach and, you know, worked and busted my butt and did all the traveling and all the fun. And right. my, my kids are two and five. <laughs> there you, wow. Yeah. I can't even imagine going back. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Well, I always admired Jim, your enthusiasm. I think, you know, when we talked about Filippo and his charisma and energy, that you're definitely somebody who has uh, exemplified those qualities as well. And I, and I knew that with that enthusiasm and energy and charisma that you had, you're going to do big things. And it's been great to see the success you've achieved. Uh, it made me so happy just to be able to sit in your house and, and, uh, and, and be present to that success uh, that you had achieved in your life and all the amazing things that uh, have come your way. So just really happy to see all that for you. And, and congratulations on all the good things. Well, thank you very much. And obviously you were a huge influence on in my life early the Vector experience was a huge influence on my life early. Um, I'm, I'm on record saying that many times, not just today. And it, it really did lay a great foundation for me to launch my career, launch my personal life. I mean, you name it. I mean, it's just so many great life lessons in those summers and building branches and, and helping other people. It really did pay off a lot for me. So I much appreciate it to you too. Thank you so much for all that you've given me. And of course, Filippo, uh, early days. So thank you very much. All right. Well, thanks for your time here today. Yeah, anytime. Jim Lawrence, everyone. Love how he learned about putting a positive spin on all of life's challenges during his early days with Cutco, setting goals and the importance of setting goals, bringing energy. You could sense Jim's energy just in listening to his voice something he learned from Filippo Mancini, something he always has had a lot of himself anyway. And a really good clip there on what are the things that recruiters are looking for for people in the marketplace, right? A track record of success, sense of urgency, do it now mentality, drive, being willing to put in your best effort. Lots of good stuff in there from a guy who's been in the industry now of recruiting and placing people into jobs, their dream jobs sometimes here for the last 25 years. So hopefully you got some good insights from that. Thanks very much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.